Acts 11, 19 through 25, as we're talking about the church, the body of Christ. I'll start reading there and I want to pray over the word as we receive together today. It says, now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some men, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that it's truth that we can hold, uh, truth that holds us. And I thank you that, Holy Spirit, you will minister to each of our hearts today uh, as we open and as we look on and think on uh, the church and what it is and what you are doing uh, in it and through it in our midst. And we thank you uh, that you're present here with us in the gathering in Jesus name. Amen. So again, before we get to our next uh, sermon series on a, a book of the Bible. We're taking it verse by verse. That's coming up. I'm excited about that. I've already been digging over into that. Uh, the Lord put it on my heart to, to do some, uh, spend some time talking about the church. Uh, we, we've been in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27 where Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ and individual members in it. Um, a body, an analogy he's using there, a body with many parts, many gifts that are diverse, but it's unified together for a specific purpose. And then last week, we, we kind of laid out this question uh, for us to stew on and think on and uh, locate ourselves with. And that is, uh, what do you see when you think about the church? What comes to your mind when you think about the church? And there was a quote uh, from a man named um, A.W. Tozer, and it's one that, that I love. He says, what the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about God. It's the most important thing about you because that shows how you see God, how you interact with him and the relationship you have with him. What comes to mind when you think about him is the most important thing about you. And I take that one step farther and say the second question is like it. What comes to your mind when you think about the church. What, what, what comes to your mind? Is it a building? Is it a preacher? Is it a song? Is it a sermon? Is it an obligation, something I have to do every week? Is it a, a meeting of the goody two-shoes club and I don't feel like I fit in? I don't feel like I'm accepted or I feel like I would be judged if I went? Uh, is it a bunch of fake people? Is it a bunch of real people? Is it a bunch of really real people? What is it that you see when you see the church, and are you seeing it by faith? Because faith sees the way that God sees. Amen. Faith sees the things the way that He sees them. Am I seeing it by faith? And can I see 
from where I am, can I get a sight line on the value of it? So last week we started here in Acts chapter 11. And what's happened is the followers of Jesus who were in Jerusalem were scattered out into the other areas by persecution. It said the persecution that arose from Stephen. Stephen was stoned for preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so because of that, people went out in all directions. And some of them ended up in Antioch in Syria and they began sharing the gospel first with just the Jews. But then it said some also who spoke Greek started sharing it with the Greeks. The message of Jesus, the good news that he is the Messiah that came to save us, set us free. They started sharing this with the Greeks. Many believed, many turned to God, so much so that news made it all the way back to Jerusalem. And they said, we want to find out what's going on in Antioch. And they sent Barnabas, the, the, the nicknamed the son of encouragement. They sent him to see what was going on. And what did he see? In verse 22, it said they sent him out as far as Antioch, verse 23, when he arrived and saw the grace of God. He arrived and saw the grace of God. The question, what do we see? What he saw was he saw the grace of God, the gospel, the good news message of Jesus Christ in action, in operation. And he also saw value in that. He saw value in that. And we know that it was the grace of God because what he's seeing is the undeserved favor of God in operation in the lives of these men and women in Antioch, in Syria. And when he saw that, look what he did. It says he was glad to see that and he encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Now, when he told them something, it tells us something. That this is something that we should continue in. This is something we should persevere in. And it's also something that we can stop. He told them, keep on. Remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. What you're doing, keep doing it. Continue it. Which again, the opposite side of that tells me that it's something that they could stop. But Barnabas, the son of encouragement, is coming along saying, this is something you shouldn't stop doing. And so we talked about what he saw and what he said. And hopefully you've thought a little bit about what it is that you see, where you're getting that from. Where am I getting that from? And then I laid a little bit of an idea before you last week, if you were with us. Um, as I've been thinking on this, the more and more I think of the church, what I think of is a table. And so I want us to today to consider... A table and not just a not just a table, but a family table, like a dinner table, a table of fellowship. And when I started to think on this, I said, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go get some studies that show these are all the good things that happen when you sit down together as a family at the table. There's a bunch of studies I can get that and I can show percentages and stuff. But then I got to thinking, I was like, I don't think I've ever seen a study that said that wasn't a good idea. Have you have you ever seen anybody say, you know, that sitting down as a family and having dinner together? Dah. You don't have to do that. That's not, not only is that not good for you, that's probably bad for you. You shouldn't do that. No, that is something that I'm pretty sure, I mean, psychologists, 
sociologists, doctors, everybody, whether they're Christians or not, they, it's a, you, there seems to be universal agreement that we are better when we sit down at the table together and eat, right? I was like, how many things do we agree on together? Now, there's probably, if you Google it, you're going to find some looney tune that said, you shouldn't do that. But, I mean, you know, they're probably just trying to get some clicks on their article, right? It seems to be universal agreement that when families sit down at the table together, that good things can happen. Good things can happen. Do good things always happen? No, but good things can happen happen. And then the more regularly we sit down at the table together, the more regularly good things happen. And so similarly, when the church gathers around in the same way and with that same type of attitude, good things can happen. Good things can happen. Again, if you looked over into those studies, they, they would say that the, the more you do that, the more healthy the family is physically, the more healthy the family is in their mental health, uh, the more their behavior uh, it improves, right? And you take it away, all of those things begin to suffer. So there's something taking place at the table, Right? There's something going on at the table, especially when it becomes our table. So I want I was like, Lord, I, I want to be able to verbalize the things that I see happening at the table. I had three and I had to cut it to two because I didn't have enough time. We'll go to the third one next week. Some of the things that happen at the table, some of the things that happen in the gathering when it's done with the same attitude is that family table. The first thing that you see and you see it here. And we see it in our life that the table is welcoming, right? You have a place at the table. There's a sense of belonging that I have a people. I have a place. I'm not an other. I have a place at the table. Think about the family tables that you've sat at, especially larger family gatherings. There are people there that literally not one person likes them. Right? And you're like, well, I don't know. If you don't know, it might be you. But there has been somebody there where you're just like, he's here. He aggravates my mama. He aggravates my daddy. He aggravates me. He's here. Why is he here? Because he's a member of of the family. Do you know how hard it is to get yourself kicked out of the family table? It's really hard. Most of the time, people will kick themselves out first. They'll cut themselves off before the family cuts them off because that's not what the table does. The table keeps your place and welcomes you back whether you deserve it or not. Why? Because you are a part of the family. You're a part of the family. And there's a grace in that. It said when Barnabas arrived, he saw the grace of God. There's grace at the family table. There's grace at the gathering of the body of Christ. You know, there's that old saying that home is the place where they have to take you in. Right? Home is the place where they have to take you in. Why? Because their heart won't let them not. 
Their heart won't let them not. How can they not? At the table of fellowship in the body of Christ, we find our place. We find we're not alone. Remember, we talked about the two lies that people can believe about the body of Christ. One is that I don't need the body. And two is that the body doesn't need me. And we we argue those and we show that they're both false. But we also know that we can slip into believing that if we're not careful. There are things that happen at the table. And the first thing is, is there's a gracious welcoming to your place at the table. Remember, these were Greeks. These weren't Jews. They were Greeks. They would have been thought of as unclean outsiders. They, they didn't do what they were supposed to be doing to be holy. Right? So they, they weren't doing it. And yet, they were welcomed at the table to share a meal with Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. the grace of a welcoming table, a grace of a welcoming church. And when you see that, you see the grace of God. You see unbelievers welcomed. They hear the message. They believe they have a place and a belonging at the table. There's some things that happen when you sit down at that table. Some things you don't realize and some things you've overlooked. But there are things that happen when you sit down at that table. One is the welcoming piece. The second deals a lot more with identity. Our identity. Who who am I, right? That's the existential question. That's the one everybody asks. Who am I? What am I here for? What's wrong with me? You know, identity. Identity. There's a big lie that's propagated today that identity is something that you as an individual discover, right? I'm just trying to find myself. I need to discover my identity. It's a whole lot of navel gazing, right? If I just look in me long enough, if I look deep in me enough, I'll find this identity and it's self-indulgent and it's self-centered and it just contemplates me over and over and over. And that is not at all where scripture says that identity, true identity comes from. Identity isn't discovered. Identity, your identity is conveyed and then received. It's conveyed to you from someone, something else, and received by you. We could go through all those people that we read about in Hebrews 11. Think about how many of their stories started with God coming to them and saying, this is who you are. And they either received that or they did not. Even Jesus baptized came up. What did God the Father say over him that he didn't say about himself? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What conveying identity. The Bible uses words like blessing or declaring or or, or speak over. It's conveying identity to someone that they then receive and accept. And this happens at the table of a family. Your identity is conveyed to you 
by those who are older than you sitting at the table with you. This is who we are. This is what we do. That is not what we do. That is not how we act. That is not how we behave. This is who we are. This is what we do. It's, it's conveying identity. Now, not every table is good, right? We've said it's some bad tables before. Some of us grew up at bad tables where bad things were being said. That doesn't change the principle. It just means the identity that was being conveyed was negative. You're stupid. You're awful. You'll never amount to anything. You're just a failure. You're an embarrassment. What's happening? Conveying identity. And what does the kid do? Just soaks it up. Receives it. This is who I am. They didn't discover that. That was conveyed to them. And they receive that it's the same principle, only it's negative. And what you need to understand is there are so, so many voices out there that want to tell you what your identity is. They want to speak over you and convey to you an identity. Which one do you receive? Because what you see is most people that say they've discovered themselves, really all they did was watch a bunch of YouTube videos where they were talking about one specific thing and they've received that. I've discovered who I am. I finally figured it out. How'd you figure it out? I watched a bunch of YouTube videos where people were telling me who they were and that's who I am. Right? You've discovered that. No, it was conveyed to you and you received it and accepted it and you are living by it. Identity is conveyed and it is received. And this is a function of the family table and has been for millennia where you would say, this is who I am. This is where my identity is coming from. Well, who are you? I'm I'm his son. He's the blacksmith here in town. And I'm probably going to grow up to be that too. And identity was so much easier because there wasn't as many voices that you were hearing. But that's why you're seeing people lose their minds because all the voices that they're hearing, they can't reconcile up here. And that's why suicides were higher last year than they've ever been before. Because everybody's wanting to tell you who you are and you're missing the real and the right one that only comes from the Father at the table. At the table of fellowship. The church, again, at a good family table who's conveying identity. It's coming from the parents down. At the table of fellowship, the believers, the body of Christ, where's the identity coming from? It's being conveyed by the father and the elder brother and that everybody else reinforces it. How many times do you see a good family where one sibling says to the other sibling what mom and dad already said to them? And it's just reinforcing the same message from the table If you aren't a part of his table, which table are you a part of? Which voice are you listening to? Where's your identity coming from and how's that working? At the table of fellowship, the church, God the Father conveys who we are. We receive it and then as brothers and sisters, we reinforce that over and over and over. 
And again, in this next series, you're going to learn a whole lot more about who we are and who we are in Christ, forming and shaping and bringing into clarity that identity. I'm excited about it. Think about all of the scenes in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Think about all the scenes where Jesus is seated at the table. Where he's sitting down to a meal. What's he doing? Jesus came to convey and open up the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, to bring it down from where he was to where we are. And he's sitting around the table and he's changing and he's recreating the identities of men and women in the process. What did they say about him when they were trying to really beat up on him, when they were trying to be hard on him? What did they say about him? He eats with tax collectors and sinners. He's eating with tax collectors and sinners. But if they hung around long enough, they would have noticed that he started eating with tax collectors and sinners, but they didn't stay that way. Right? The tax collectors weren't collecting taxes anymore. The sinners weren't sinning anymore. The prostitutes weren't prostituting anymore. Why? They had been conveyed a new identity at the table of the Savior of the world. Old things passed away and all things were created new. Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven unclean spirits came, she sat at a better table. She was welcomed graciously and she was conveyed from him a new identity that she received. Barnabas's encouragement is don't stop doing this. This, When I got here, I saw God's grace and operation. Don't stop. Remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. Again, what's that telling me? That we can stop. And what happens if we pull away from the table? Think about, there's a story in uh, Luke 7, John the Baptist. John the Baptist uh, uh, had declared the way, prepared the way for Jesus, becoming and preaching repentance. And he was on board. This is the Messiah. I'm bought in and I, I have an identity in him and it's solid. And then John got put in prison because he was calling the leaders at the time to repent of their unrighteousness and their sinfulness. He's like, y'all say you follow God, but you don't. You need to repent of your sins. And they threw him in prison. And after he sat in prison for a little while, he sent some of his guys to Jesus and said, are you really the one or do we wait for another? Are you really the one or do we wait for another? What happened? He was separated from the table. He was separated from the one who conveyed his identity to him. And he's like, I'm hearing other voices now. You told me I was a voice crying out in the wilderness. You told me I was a prophet. And then they're telling me I'm a false prophet and I'm a heretic and I'm due to die. And I don't know who to listen to. He was away from the table. And Jesus said, there was not a man born of a woman that was better than John the Baptist. He says, not one person is going to be born that I think more of than John the Baptist. But then he also said, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. The least in the kingdom is greater than him. What about Peter? What about Peter? Well, you want to talk about bought in. You want to talk about at the table. Peter was at the table. 
He was ready. Jesus, I'm ready for whatever. I'll die for you. They'll never take you. I got you, Jesus. I'm Peter. I'll I'll take care of it. Jesus gets arrested. Peter loses it, runs off, denies him three times and just is outside of himself. Why? He got separated from that which gave him his identity. And now we got all these other voices and everything's called into question. When Jesus got Peter back, he was sitting down. It was like a campfire table, right? Because it was on the beach. They had eat. Remember this? And he said, Peter, do you love me? He said, you know, I love you. He said, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know, I love you. Shepherd my flock. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know, I love you. Feed my sheep. What's he doing? He's reestablishing that identity at the table. He's welcomed back in, in grace, and then the identity is conveyed. Who are you, Peter? You're one who loves me and who does my will. You're one who loves me and truly follows me because you've seen my grace and operation in your life. And he did it at the table of fellowship. These are just two vital functions of the church, the body of Christ. More to come, but the table of fellowship, what a difference it makes. We are welcomed there. We have a seat at the table. It's where we're conveyed our identity. It's where he teaches us who we really are in Christ Jesus And then next week, we're going to talk about how he uses the table to teach us and to train us and to grow us from where we are to where he would have us to be. Jesus gathered people around and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he sat at so many tables and introduced to them a new life, a new identity. And he brought them back when they stepped away. So when he came, that's what he did, right? When he came, that is one of the things that he did. After he was crucified, after he was raised, after he had that scene with Peter on the beach, he ascended to heaven, right? We know that. He ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father Almighty. As the creed says, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. He's at the right hand of the Father Almighty. He came incarnate as a man and he started setting tables and seating people at them. He's at the right hand of the Father. Who's setting the table now? Who is setting the table now? How was Jesus incarnate? The angel came to Mary. We read that in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke. Angel came to Mary and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High World will overshadow you because the one to be born is holy. Because she said, how's this going to happen? I don't know a man. How am I going to have a baby? He said, the Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you and the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you so that what comes forth from that will be of God, which means it will be holy. Remember what he said, Jesus said in Acts chapter one, before he ascended, 
He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait until what? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. See how that, just how similar that is to what he told Mary. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Power is going to overshadow you. And then what's going to come forth is going to be holy. Jesus said, I want y'all, I'm going up. I want y'all to meet in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to receive power to do what? Be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in Judea, and into the uttermost parts of the earth. His body still sets the table and still sits at the table of fellowship in the earth today. The good news about Jesus is proclaimed. And just like in Antioch, many believe and many turn to him. Many see their lives change. Again, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. They were that away. They're not that away anymore. Why? They've been conveyed a new identity. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are created new. And they sit at his table. They rise up with a new identity because, again, it's conveyed from him. He's the only one that can do it. It's got to come from somebody greater than us and who greater than him. It's conveyed and it's received. And every time we gather together, we're reinforcing that. Every time we gather together, we're declaring that. Every time we gather together, it's around that. Welcomed at a table where I find uh, in him the identity that I, all, that, that I never would have been able to have on my own. Why? He had to, it had to be given to me by him. And when we do that, those things, it looks like the grace of God. It looks like the grace of God and the encouragement. Remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts, right? Things happen at the table. Things happen at the table. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for faith to be able to see the church, the body of Christ, and our place in it, that we have a seat at the table, not because we deserved it, but because you said we are a part of the family when we put our faith in Christ Jesus and in him alone. We have a place at the table and it's at your table that you teach us who we are. You don't beat us up with who we were. You don't beat us up with who we used to be or with what we've done. You tell us who we are. And when we gather together with your body, who's empowered by the Holy Spirit, that's reinforced. You're not that old person. You need to leave that behind. You don't need to carry that anymore. He's given you a better load. He's given you a new identity. Father, we thank you that when you saved us, you also began a transformation process. And you used the church as a vehicle for our sanctification. It's the mouthpiece for your message and it's also the vehicle by which we are changed into your image as we come to the table over and over and over and it's reinforced and the power of the Holy Spirit's at work in our lives that we can look back and go, I'm not a tax collector anymore. I'm not a sinner anymore. 
I don't fit those clothes anymore. I've been given a new identity in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to see the value of the table, the value of the church, the value of the body and the value of our place in it, that we are the body of Christ and individual members in it. And just like Jesus made a change on this earth because the one that came forth was holy, so is your body. What has come forth out of the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of the Son is holy. If you're here today and you question that part when I said you have a place at the table, you question that part where I said you have been invited to sit down because you know a lot more about you than I do, you think that that's not right. But Jesus said, Come unto me all who are weary and burdened under a heavy load, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my teaching upon you. There's that conveyance again. And learn from me because I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The only thing we have to bring is our sin and our need. And he meets us right where we are. All we have to do is cry Jesus. And then sit down at the table, at the place that he has set for us. Not because we deserved it but because He is worthy and He is welcoming. Lord, we thank You for that new identity in Christ. We are in You and we are together as Your body. I thank You that You are opening up new sight lines into this. <laughs> that church is more than we ever thought that it was. And it will be in our lives more than we could have ever imagined as we continue to sit down at Your table and receive from you. As we get ready to go today, Lord, we, we thank you for all the activities that are going to go on today. We pray that you bless them. We, we pray that you be involved because when you are involved, when you're lifted up, you draw people to you. I thank you that in all of these, the, the prayer, the outreach, everything that will go on, that people will see your grace. Just like Barnabas saw your grace, that people will see your grace. Your word says that people will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Lord, that they'll know. They've already got an inkling in their bones that there's something more to this life than what they've seen. There's more to this life than what they've known. Because you've made eternity into our hearts. We look for something that's eternal. We look for something that's everlasting. And I thank you, Lord, that they'll see with eyes of faith that they'll call Jesus and find their place at the table. As we go today, I thank you that we go in peace and unity with one another. Lord, I thank you you bring us safely back here. For those that are out traveling, keep them safe, protect them. Those that are working, that they would do so as unto your glory and for the good of those around them. And those that are weak in their physical body, Lord, that you strengthen them. That you heal them and re restore them to health and strength so that they can return quickly to their, their seat at the table. We love you and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.